Awesome, we're gonna get started right away. So we are here to talk about mobile music. So, mobile music, is it real or is it whack? No, uh, here, let's start here. I'm Josh Consey from TechCrunch. I cover music startups and music technology. Also, worked in a radio station, I've managed bands, I've worked at a digital music agency, I've done it all. But not quite as much as these guys. These guys are some of the biggest, these are titans of the mobile music industry right here. And we're gonna kick it off, we're gonna talk about a lot of the big issues facing monetization, how startups can get into mobile music, and how artists can make money off of it. But we're gonna start right away with a few examples of what we think are some of the coolest things going on in mobile music right now. So first, to my left is Ethan Kaplan from Live Nation Labs. Hello. Hi, Ethan. Uh, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what's one of the coolest things you've seen in mobile music right now so we can get sort of a landscape of what people should be aspiring to? I run product and technology, design operations, a bunch of other stuff at Live Nation Labs, which is an internal incubator slash startup slash something at Live Nation. Uh, the biggest thing in mobile music I've seen is LTE on the iPhone 5 because it actually made it work properly. What specifically, have you been able to see higher deaf streams? Or? Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't worry about bandwidth on iTunes Match or Spotify or RDO or any other service. I get better bandwidth on my phone than I do at my house. What do you think that's going to do to the industry? Send it further off the cliff into a land of unknown certainty. <laughs> that sounds exciting. <laughs> All right, well, to, the, to your left, we've got Steve Jang. Founder of Soundtracking. Steve, you tell us a little bit about your company and, and what you think is really cool going on in mobile music right now. Sure. Uh, Soundtracking is a social music app on the iPhone and Android that lets you share what you're listening to. Much like Shazam or searching for a song in Google, you can just search for a song or identify a song and then share it with a photo and a location and a caption. It kind of looks like a music photo. Uh, you can share that on Facebook, Twitter, Foursquare. You can check it in. You can update your social networks. So it's a community. I actually saw something yesterday um, that was really cool. Um, I see a lot of music apps every week, and I saw some engineers, some, actually two of them were academic scientists, and they showed me something that was related to biometrics and not only creating music out of that, but also the idea of recommending uh, types of music to listen to. And I thought that was really cool. I've seen a lot of biometric consumer electronics devices, and it was cool to see something that tied into music, because I think music definitely has a physical response. It gives you a physical response, so I thought that was really interesting. So by that, you mean like it's analyzing my heartbeat and telling me what kind of music I might be listening to if I'm at that tempo of a human being? Yeah, it could look at that. It could look at, um, could look at things like externalities, like the weather today, uh, your temperature, your heart rate, the nuances in between each heartbeat, actually, and over time, and, and things like that. And so... There's so many different things that you can uh, use as uh, variable inputs, and it's, that's really fun. It's, uh, it, it feels like magic, like the first time you ever used Shazam 10 years ago, and you were like, wow, that was really cool, and you wanted to like, reverse engineer how that worked. That's how I felt when I, when I was listening to these guys and uh, checking out their uh, prototypes. So I felt like that was a really cool thing. Awesome. Ayal? Hey, guys. Ayal Kleiman. I work at a tiny little label in Burbank, California called Warner Brothers Records. I get songs played on the radio. Uh, no, I, uh, I do uh, interactive marketing and fan engagement. That's my official title. We engage with fans 365 days a year through album releases, single releases, mixtape releases, artists getting tattoos on their face, going to rehab, <laughs> touring, you know, direct-to-consumer stuff. I'm also responsible for advancing our social media and fan database footprint, and I represent our digital new business development stuff, 
basically acting as the first line of defense. If you have an app that you want to bring to my company, I give it the, all right? I've had a background at labels and media companies for 12 years, you know, starting with the, the dawn of Napster, where I used to listen to my you know, Napster downloaded tracks on Winamp. They're back. So, and in terms of the coolest things I've, I've seen in, um, in, in the mobile music space, I think really, you know, what's exciting, maybe not, you know, so cool, but finally with, you know, as Ethan pointed out, improvements in, in devices enable paid subscription services to create great experiences where, you know, fans can take their music with them and enjoy and consume. Awesome. Gino? Great. Um, hi, I'm Gino Yoham, the GM of Winamp. In Winamp, we make uh, music management applications uh, to manage users' libraries, and our goal is to make your users' library available in as many places and as often to access as they want. So we have solutions for PC desktop, which is our traditional most successful one, and we have solutions for Mac desktop, and we have uh, one of the most popular Android music managers available on the market. So. One of the coolest things I've seen very, very recently, a little shameless plug, is the new Lyrics add-on we're building with our partner LyricFind that we announced today. So that's coming out very shortly. And the, uh, the Song Freaks app that they launched for our, our Winamp desktop was, was launched uh, this morning. But uh, it, it's really, it's in that vein, is that the coolest thing is really kind of more of a trend, is the, is the amount of music that's being consumed on mobile devices just going up and up, and the, all the variety of ways that you can customize those experiences, those are two examples. And the, and the projections of how much of a dominant experience that people are starting with mobile to find, discover, and consume music, versus just pushing it onto their device and to take it with them, but starting with their device is pretty cool. Great. And down there, Adam. Hi, everyone. When Josh uh, says uh, that we're Titans, the uh, only thing Titan about me is my weight. Um, <laughs> as the president of Conduit, we're very uh, pleased to be here. We are a uh, company that works with uh, more than uh, 260,000 different uh, online publishers. And I've uh, got north of a quarter of a billion end users who use our stuff. And uh, on the mobile side of things, we're doing a lot of really cool stuff in the music space, doing what we do best, which is democratizing the building of technology. So we allow any artist or musician to build their own native code smartphone apps really easily. We've got done tens of thousands of them, got millions of uh, end users who are using the artist stuff. Uh, so that's also what we do. I think the thing that's uh, uh, exciting for me is that we're getting closer to the Nirvana where the technology is finally getting integrated enough and easy to use enough that my wife can use it. I think that the trouble for a lot of people who are in Silicon Valley in particular is that they think everyone is like them and the reality is they're not. Most people want things that are really, really, really simple, and sometimes I think we uh, uh, sort of jump the shark and go to the level of complexity, which isn't actually needed. So a lot of the services that have been talked about here today, I think, are finally getting us towards that nirvana. Right. Well, it seems like these days every artist needs to have an app, or at least wants to have one. And But the problem is sometimes those apps, they feel really thin. They feel kind of useless. Like you might visit them once in a while, or only if you're a really huge fan would you want to spend a lot of time in them. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about the best things and the worst things that people have seen in the that the artist-specific app. So, Ayal, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you've seen. You've seen, you know, dozens of really big artists try and succeed, try and fail. Like, what are some of the things that you've seen just time and time again don't work, and then maybe we can get into what you're seeing succeed? Right. Well, you know, to date, the artist-branded 
app where, you know, paid, you know, where we try to charge uh, to have users downloaded in the iOS or Android store has not worked, right? And this is in a variety of, of you know, ways. Paid up front, direct revenue, in-app purchases, just really haven't really hit it. I mean, I think there's probably one e example of where it, wor it has worked, and that's the T-Pain app with Antares. <laughs> and, you know, I would ask the room, am I wrong? Is, that, is there any other app that is? Be, be, in what capacity, though? Because that was our label, so... What do you mean? It was a great app. It was a wonderful app. Great app. Was it successful? Well, if we're charging for it, we want to make money. Return on investment. So, you know, to your point about the, you know, the more cookie cutter type app, all I can say to that is those are the apps that have worked, right? Those are the apps that have the traction, you know, Mobile Roadie would say, I don't know if Michael Schneider or anybody else from Mobile Roadie is in the room, that Adele's app has been downloaded you know, a million and a half times. You know, Katy Perry had a successful app launch. That seems to be the type of app that, that consumers want and are uh, downloading. So, uh, we're so what, gonna, what are in those apps? Very basic experiences. So they're, they're extensions of websites. They're, you know, they feed in you know, social media outlets. There's there are interactive elements where you can post content within the app and, and, and share that to other social media. Um, and you know, to speak to that, uh, we have had recent success building apps with, uh, with Adam and his team from Conduit, you know, building apps that follow that framework. Um, you know, I was introduced to that company by my guy Les Borzai over there. Um, and he came to me and said, I have a, a, a very successful Israeli company that wants to get into the space. Um, and they want to build you apps for free. And of course, being in the music business and knowing less, I said, what's the catch, right? Um, Thank you, Bert. Cheers. This is about to get a lot more interesting. Ah. Um, but you know, thus far, uh, the apps that we built with Conduit and, and, and ones like that have, have been successful in terms of engagement, right? Getting fans to download them. And where we monetize from there is uh, honestly yet to be seen. What about you, uh, Gino? What, what are you guys seeing? When, uh, or actually, actually, let's ask this, Adam. What do you What do you think? Like, what have you guys been seeing for your publishers? Uh, is there something that you've learned from how the publishers are doing apps that you can bring to the music world now that you guys are helping musicians to launch apps? Yeah, sure. So, so like uh, nearly everything that we've seen uh, since the company got going is is that there's an eighty twenty rule. Um, you know, roughly 20% of the people who build apps actually uh, go the, uh, the extra mile, uh, are really creative, come up with some lateral thinking, and they do something different so that their app is, you know, orders of magnitude more successful than the average. Um, and it, in, in the end, uh, the, the key is less about the technology itself, it's about how people use the technology. You know, why, why do people have mobile apps? What's the purpose? You know, are you doing it to, to make money from the app itself? Are you using it to try to drive uh, traffic to something else? Are you just trying to build a conversation with your core fan base? What, whatever the reasons are. And, and when people really understand what they're trying to drive for, they, they, they've been really successful, um, certainly in our experience, of uh, meeting those goals. So, you know, as Ayal says, uh, doing stuff with him has uh, uh, been really fun as we've uh, been experimenting with stuff. What's the best way for artists to be getting traffic to the apps or getting people to download those apps? Is it announcing them on stage, tweeting about them? Like, what are you seeing is driving the most traction? So, so um, certainly um, uh, doing stuff uh, from the, the, the concerts and the venues is, is, is a key, key base and also leveraging their social media channels 
is, is, a, is another uh, major way of uh, uh, driving uh, engagement. How do our and from that, you know, I would just add that having the dangling carrot of exclusive content, you know, to start, so like an exclusive track or a video or photos contained within the app is a wonderful way to get, you know, an initial install base. Well, don't forget also when you're releasing a record, <clears throat> you have to buttress right. it against There's that. that. Uh, yeah, because yeah. iTunes is more likely to feature it when you're releasing an album. I feel like when I see artists live, there's these two ways that they could announce that they're, you know, that they're selling merch. Sometimes the artist is like, hey, we're back at the merch booth. We're going to be talking with our fans and ask us any questions about the songs you love or something like that. And that seems so genuine. It seems so real. And lots of people want to come back there. Then sometimes the artists are just like, we are selling our albums for $15 each and you can buy them back in the back of the venue. Like, and that just that rubs me totally the wrong way. It feels like a complete interruption of the experience. How do you get people, how do you announce your app on stage in a way that doesn't make you sound like a total asshole? Um, <laughs> Not a QR code. Well, you, 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 Not a QR code. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, you, you don't do the, um, the entire thing of I'm selling the app on iTunes, you know, go and buy it. Um, the, 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 the way to do it is to say that the app's purpose is so that if you want to have a conversation with us, you know, whoever the artist is afterwards, then uh, get the app. This is a cool way to do it on your mobile. Yeah, I think you need to promote it as an extension of the experience that they just had, right? So people, I know people are trying to, you know, apps where there's, uh, you know, maybe recorded footage from the show that they just saw contained within the app that you can take back with you. So, um, we don't have a lot of experience with artists promoting, you know, to download apps on, from within stages or on stage because some think it's kind of lame. Uh, but, you know, social media is a bigger driver for us. That brings up an interesting point of how do the record labels and how do you know, the auxiliary services that are making money when artists make money, how do they convince the artists to promote their, their stuff? So, for instance, like an artist might have... X number of, you know, some millions of Twitter followers, right? And they release an album. How does the record, how does it work? Are there deals in place where the, the bands have to promote the, the like album release or promote certain links to it? Uh, like what's going on with that? And how do you get artists to actually use the, their social media following? Because I know I've heard that this is a big problem in the movie industry right now, where essentially, right. you know, a movie star gets signed on to do a film, right. but they have no obligation to promote that film to their mm -hmm. Twitter follower base or their their social media followers, right. and it's just lost revenue for uh, for the movie studio because there's essentially no incentive for the for the for the actor. And is that that same situation happening in music? I've never seen that happen. Uh, you know, artists are very incentivized to promote their out, you know, their their body of work, releasing an album. You know, however they choose to do it, if they want to include a buy link directly or feel that that's maybe not appropriate and just suggest that or, or announce that they have an album, I've never encountered an instance where an artist was unwilling to promote uh, a new body of work uh, via social media, if they use social media. It used to happen more than it does now. Like back before right. iPhone, when we were doing brew right. games and stuff, there would be, you know, one year lead time to make a game because of 60 different phones. By the time it came out, the artist lost interest or the album cycle had passed and you couldn't even get them to talk about it. It happens a lot less because the time to market is so short that nothing's really stale once it enters the market. It's, but it's, 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 I, I've had experience with a, a couple, or oh, at least one app. 
Um, I mean, maybe if it's a mainstream, like uh, Facebook posting or Twitter posting, et cetera, uh, artist participation is probably fairly easy to get them to get involved with. But I've, I've, there's, I won't say the name of the app, but there was one that we were evaluating and looking at that where there was an interaction between the fan and the, and the artist. And the artist would leave uh, voice messages for the fans. Right. And, um, and there, you know, most of the artists had maybe left the introductory one if that, and it was you know, very disappointing. So if you promise something, uh, you, you have to deliver on it or else it, it has you know, t the opposite effect in spades. So I think that, that leads into a question about mobile app design. Uh, should, should these mobile apps be designed to be maximizing you know, the artist's revenue and the artist's benefit, or they should be designed to, to maximize the user benefit, the end user? Ethan. I'd certainly say the user benefit. I don't. I think if you're going to enter into making a mobile app, thinking as an artist that you're going to somehow move the needle on your your P&L, it's a little bit foolish because that's dependent on so many aspects that are outside of your nest direct control. I mean, if you're an artist and you're trying to make product and you're not thinking about your fan, you're likely in the wrong business. Um, that's the job of other people that work for you, like or work above you. So, I mean. You're not going to make any meaningful revenue that's going to move any needle. You can't go into it thinking you are. You make something that's good for your fan, that's good for your brand, that is an extension of your art uh, in a non-cynical way, and you're bound to actually maybe get something good out of it. Mm -hmm. but, but, there, but it is kind of important. I mean, our artist-specific apps and... Um, are great for you know the, the uh, especially um, they're very, very timely when artists are very popular. They release a new record or they're very in, in the now. But I, I think it is important to give that user value for because users are collectors. I mean, generally music, people are music collectors. They want to add to their library over time, and it, it, it should be it's important for again known conventions for once they discover an artist or go deeper into their tracks that they can add and build to their library. And, and keep those in, in something they're more familiar listening to music for multiple artists versus single singular ones. I think also the uh, when when I hear a lot of artist managers or labels talk about building an app for their artist, um, there's sort of two different things that I've heard generally, and there's obviously exceptions. But one is they want to build sort of the representation of all the artists' repertoire, all their images, all their songs, every all their videos, all in one app, and that's sort of sort of a mobile version of their Facebook page, plus their Twitter, plus their Instagram or whatnot. And that's one thing, and I've seen uh, a lot of downloads for the top artists, but I've seen a lot of really like, like not compelling apps um, that you wouldn't really keep that long because they just don't have enough activity and content to update. And then there's apps that um, really take a unique approach. So your example of the T-Pain app uh, was interesting because that was so much fun, not because necessarily it was T-Pain, but it was just fun to auto-tune. Mm -hmm. It was just fun to finally be able to auto-tune something. Anyone could do it, and so that was the fun part. T-Pain may have um, <coughs> been the great marketing, intuitive marketing agent for that, but it was fun by itself, regardless of whether T-Pain's name was on it. And then you see something like um, Tap Tap Revenge. I remember I downloaded the Black Eyed Peas and the Lady Gaga Tap Tap Revenge, and it was pretty much the same game. It did, I mean, it played the music, but I could play the music on iTunes. I could play the music on any other service. So. I removed that app after like two or three days. Not because I didn't like the app, it just was the same app over and over. And so um, I, would, I would suggest that artists and labels, when they think about making the initial investment of designing and engineering an app, that they either decide that they're gonna build a bunch of small apps that are fun and lightweight and they can do quickly with low investment and have sort of man manage their own expectations on what they're gonna get out of it 
and how long people will actually keep it on their phone, or really like make an investment in building something long-term where they're engaging with their entire fan base globally and it's worth the, the time and effort. Because it's not, it's not cheap from a resource perspective, um, nor from a, just an energy and mind, mind share perspective to build something really long-term in the mobile space. Uh, there's a fair amount, there's even more of an ADD-like um, approach to um, apps as there was in the web world. So that's my suggestion to the artist managers and labels out there. Are, who's, where's that money coming from for this investment? Are the record labels fronting the money for these long-term investments in app development? Or do artists really have to push this themselves? Like are, are the labels on board with, with mobile app development right now? If it's the right idea and, it, and it's a good fit, then sure. Um, yeah, but one thing I'll add to the work we're doing with Conduit, um, you know, we make sure that every app that we build with them has like a, just a fun twist that is, you know, an update to the, to the product that, you know, they can offer other clients. So we built an app for an artist, Waka Flocka Flame. Anybody familiar? Um, I go hard in the paint. <laughs> perfect. Uh, uh, and his app, you know, has a, you can download it now in the app store. Um, his app has like a very cool soundboard that you know speaks to his personality, right? Like he's very animated and sound bites are big on his record, so we included that in the app. And we have a, a, a app coming for another artist where, you know, a big trend in in uh, in, in social is uh, you know of course photo sharing with with filtering. So we have like a, a unique approach to that, which is going to be a, you know a great launch. And um, so it, as it happens to be, we're we're able to build those with conduit, you know, very cost effectively. Um, and if we had to, you know, if, if we had to make an, an investment there and it was the right idea, again, we would do it for sure. All right. Um, so one what are the hurdles to, to great mobile experiences, uh, on mobile? Like, you know, for, for one example, it's like, if you go to a concert, you probably have seen a lot of people doing this. And like, it seems like they're capturing a lot of content, mm -hmm. but is, like, is bandwidth up to speed such that you can actually be sharing that? Or is like, are the carriers failing the mobile app developers right now? I mean, it depends on the, the audience in the show. We've seen, you know, we've seen the, the, the amount of photos shared per show that we've seen average from five to 2,500 on a given show. And the 2,500 show was a Roger Waters show at the Hollywood Bowl. And one of the fives was a One Direction show. So you start to have to evaluate, okay, why is that the case? And it turns out, well, what are people doing if they're a bunch of tweens? They're texting. Um, and what are people doing if they're a bunch of old guys that paid 300 bucks to see Roger Waters? They're taking photos to document the experience. So it kind of like, bandwidth is always gonna be a concern because the more bandwidth you have, the more devices you have to fill it. Um, I know in the Live Nation venues that we own, there's a lot of investigation going on in how we can do relays and optimize bandwidth capabilities. But stuff always sneaks out because people are persistent um, and people like documenting things. So if they upload it in the parking lot, then we get the later grams of, you know, in the parking lot. Um, but uh, we've seen the, the amount of content shared out of shows uh, growing substantially in the last year, mostly following the curve of Instagram's growth. Um, and still following that curve. It's very noisy. Uh, it's hard to filter out the good stuff from the noise, but you know, uh, I don't think the carriers are failing in any worse way than they always did when you have a natural <laughs> monopoly like that. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a tough problem to solve. Wireless spectrum is not something that you solve by just shoving more devices uh, in a room and a bunch more antennas. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers play in San Francisco Civic Center for the Salesforce party recently. Tons of people taking photos. Absolutely no reception. There, all the, all the, the networks were jammed. And so it, it felt like it was a real slight to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like they had put on this great concert. Nobody could really tweet about it. Or if they did, they might send like one photo afterwards where I might have sent like five photos during it. I'm really fascinated about hearing that Live Nation is, is interested in doing relay systems. Could you talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing I, with this? I venues? know as much as I just said, basically, which is that they're, they're looking at it. It's not, like I said, it's not as simple as just shoving a bunch more spectrum into a room and hooking it to a good backline or a good uh, back channel data thing. Uh, you get a lot of data. Like you said, Chili Peppers played a Salesforce conference, which makes me sad. But um, <laughs> hey, don't, don't worry. Flea told the whole, con or the whole crowd to take acid. So well, they're, they're Jam, not as corporate rock as Pearl Jam played Oracle World. So I have no idea what's happened to my 90s heroes anymore. <laughs> um, Weezer's playing the box show tonight. Don't, don't keep going. Stop. Uh, you kind of have a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get a bunch of people in, a, in the Civic Center at an Oracle conference or a Salesforce conference shooting. You're not going to have bandwidth no matter how much stuff you shove in there. You're going to shove every wireless access point known to man in there. So, I mean, there, there's just physical limits to some of this stuff unless you ran Cat6 cables to a bunch of laptops or something. I don't know. But... I mean, in that case, what about like kiosks at the venues where you could, you know, quickly upload your content and tweet it from there? Is that... Something that Live Nation's interested in? or I'd be interested in getting as much content out of any show as humanly possible. Uh, I would challenge any app developer doing photo apps to retain accurate metadata on the shooting time rather than upload time, which will help us make better Live Nation experiences. That's my selfish desire. In <laughs> uh, any app we make that does photography for concerts, which we may or may not make, would honor that commitment in order to make sure that bandwidth wasn't a predicate to documenting great concerts. Wait. So, I mean, as an app developer, if you're going to target shooting photos at concerts or, in Steve's case, documenting music you listen to, you have to respect the knowledge that you're not going to always have bandwidth. But did you just hint that Live Nation is building a photo app? No, I just hinted that I'm thinking about it. Oh, Live I'm, Nation Graham. <laughs> I want to see less um, broken up about bandwidth inside the concert because I'm pretty much, like, if it's a good concert, I'm kind of involved in that. Um, you know, I can share a photo or, or, or a song later. Um, I'm, I'm, like, more interested in the idea that I'll find out about the show through my mobile phone rather than have to, like, check in on my email inbox on my desktop once a day, find out about the show, and then be able to get a push notification based upon the artists I already like, and then actually get that before it's completely sold out at Ticketmaster. That is my biggest problem right now. And then I go into StubHub and I, and I get gouged. And so like, if, if you guys would build that, I would download that, I would pay for that. I would actually pay for that app just to get that timely notification or that pre-sale access. I'd pay a subscription for my favorite artists. Well, my mobile so, team is in the audience, so I hope they're taking notes. I saw, I saw. <laughs> So, so another limitation beyond bandwidth would be storage, right? So, um, and it's kind of kind of the user we're going after is the collector that has a, a large library. You know, on average, our users have 4,500 tracks, and they just really can't put all the music that they want on their device. So, I mean, the challenge right now is making music collecting and adding, and and as more music consumption and the starting point for your you know touching your music library is going to be your mobile device. Um, you know, it, it should be it, it, it should be more that rewarding experience where you used to add a track to your your library. You look back and like, look at my library. I got that track. It's a rare track, and I have that. And it's more like a 
uh, how do I find my car keys experience right now? Like you're on your phone and like, oh, I know I have the Elliott Smith truck and I want to hear it right now. And I think it's on my computer at home, um, not on my phone. So um, that's, that's a lot of the things we're focusing on is making the user's library available all the time. Uh, so. You, you talked a little bit before, uh, when we were talking before the panel, about the problems with something like that because you said that basically the, that the mobile audience falls into two sort of big, big lumps. Could you talk a little bit more about that concept? The big bumps. So, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Humps? So, <laughs> lumps? What do we call them? No, there was Steve's theory, the hump theory. But, uh, Steve uh, can elaborate we'll, on the hump we'll, theory. We'll, 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 we'll migrate there. So, but what we're seeing is like, um, you know, because we, we, we develop, a, we have an Android product, and it's our primary product that we're working on for mobile. Um, and what we're seeing is that, uh, and so the research we're doing is that, you know, our users have, have a mobile, excuse me, a music budget overall of 60 something percent of them, of less than $50 a, a year. So, um, and to have ubiquitous access to, you know, all of your library, if you get a streaming service like a Spotify or an RDO and you want it on your phone, that's $120 a year. Uh, expenditure. So that, that, ex that not only exceeds their budget, but it blows through their budget to buy and acquire new content for their library. So um, there's, there's a spot there for, you know, and they, on average, they want around 4,500 tracks, not 20 million tracks. So, and they want to add a few tracks. And discovery is important at buying new content and adding it to their library is important. But if you're using their entire music budget just to get access to their music, then, that, then those become less of an opportunity. So, um, and then, that, so then the hump theory is like the, is there's, 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 there's those who are really, really engaged and really pushing the envelope on feature sets. Um, those are early adopters are kind of on this side. And then there's, there's those who just get a phone for free from their, their carrier. They only, you know, they, they want very basic lean back experience and are less engaging. And what we were talking about in the room backwards, like there needs to be like an emergence of a mobile music middle class that you know, wants to migrate from that less interactive into the more interactive, but they don't really have you know, the time, the budget, or the engagement to be like really this, uh, you know, cutting edge, pushing the envelope type of user. So it's there, and, and, and it will emerge over time as users get more and more demanding. I think that's a, that's a really interesting stat. You said that the, of your Android users, you found that 60% of them have a, music, a yearly music budget of $50 or less. Oh, I over, think that's over that, yeah. That's a common figure, too. That's yeah. like the iTunes, the average iTunes user is 50 bucks, 50 bucks a year of purchases. Great, so, Steve, could you tell us a little bit more about your hump theory? <laughs> it's actually not a it's hump back theory. To <laughs> it sounds like it's back yeah. to biometrics. Um. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I feel like you know, anecdotally, but enough anecdotes strung together, I'm kind of seeing this, there's a group of iPhone and Android users that um, are very, they're voracious about music apps. They're, they're willing to try out a lot of new apps, whether they're social games around music, um, whether they're expression apps, whether they're music creation apps, and, um, and, they're, and they're quite adept at it. You know, they, they uh, either take to it or not, and then they uh, remove it or they keep it on. Um, and um, I think a lot of the, the, the apps that are more higher profile, you can kind of see that um, happening. Um, and then there's a, a much larger um, mode of distribution. Um, so the, this whole concept of humps is actually talking about bimodal distribution. So this bigger group that just wants playback. And the most important, like one of the key metrics in building a mobile app, it, it's a very similar, there's an analogous uh, thing in um, websites, which is just, it's just the time to an interaction. When someone opens up an app, the first interaction that that user takes, the speed or the, the shortness of that, the snappiness of that, 
really makes a huge difference on whether or not they like your app, period. Uh, you could explain it for 30, 30 different reasons why, but the speed and snappiness of your website, the speed and snappiness of your app is so, so important. And a lot of people just wanna open up the app and start playing music, and they don't wanna have to press next, they don't want to have to press anything, they just want it to stream, because usually, music is part of something else that they're doing at the moment. They're driving, they're walking, they're exercising, they're working. And so their interaction is much more passive. And passive is not a negative thing in mobile app design or, or, or in, in sort of what you're trying to build, but you just have to like build towards that, sort of match your, align what you're building with what um, the user experience or the behavior you want. And so, you know, I look at, um, I look at Songza, and Songza is so simple but it makes so much sense to people because they open up the app and it says summer barbecue hip hop playlist. And you're like, it's the summer, I'm having a barbecue, I like hip hop. You play it and it's curated and it's well curated. Um, now it's not, it's, not, it's not the Music Genome Project, but if you want that, if you want to listen to songs that all sound very similar to each other and listen to an hour of that, then you have Pandora. Mm -hmm. And if you want to listen to well, no, it's Pandora. I listen to Pandora when I want that. And then sometimes I want something a little bit more editorialized. And then, something I, and then I want to create my own playlist. I might use Spotify or iTunes, the music app. And so I think that um, a lot of apps, uh, there's still um, a huge opportunity in getting that group of people that just want um, quick access um, to playback and then shifting them over to a lot of these more interesting music creation, social music apps. And so that's the challenge that we face and that's, that's what we really optimize for right now. I, I care less about building a great mobile app. Um, that's not the objective. We want to build a great music social network. The mobile app is just the interface and the form factor for that. So we spend a lot of time working actually on server side engineering rather than mobile app iOS code development or Android Java, Java development. So uh, I think that's the big opportunity for a lot of us to, to, to be able to make that transition for those, those two humps. I think that's a cool insight that you know, getting, getting to playing music as quickly as possible or getting to doing something as quickly as possible is totally crucial. Like, that's what I'm constantly looking for in the music apps that I use. I don't, like, the, the biggest problem with these music, these, big music streaming apps, things like Spotify, is that like, okay, great, I have the world's catalog of music, how the hell am I gonna decide what to listen to? Like, it causes decision paralysis, it like freaks me out to just have that open-ended search box. I kind of want just someone to just like lead me right into music, and then maybe I can do a search after that, but like get something playing as quickly as possible, I think is really critical to good mobile well, music was, app design. That was the whole reason, so I, I couldn't use the first iteration of the Spotify app because I was never on a good connection and to stream uh, um, Spotify, you needed a certain level of KBPS to come through and so I couldn't get that and so um, I would just fall back on all the other apps that had my music locally. And then as soon as they had the offline and they really worked that out, um, the ability to play songs offline, so basically you were storing it locally on your client, then it became highly usable. I had all my playlists, I could play all that, but I'd, I'd always have to remember to still make it uh, offline available. And so um, I actually am totally fragmented on my iPhone. I play um, albums of artists that I, I want to support. In my, in my head, I'm supporting them by buying an iTunes album. And I have them on my music app. I always have them. I have them in high quality. I have DJ mixes from uh, DJs on that. I use a SoundCloud app to stream. I use uh, the Spotify app. I use Pandora. Like, I'm, I'm all over the place because it's all different use cases, and some of these guys, you know, they just they haven't sorted out like playing offline, like so, locally. So what you're saying is cash is king. Yes. 
Interesting. Double meaning, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, Very yes. good. Very good. I, I saw what you did there. <laughs> and, and just a quick point. You know, Steve, you're not the typical music you know, yeah. user, right? Um, but I, I just disagree in a sense that, that you know, there's two different humps that don't converge, right? I think that there is a happy medium between all of them. You know, like, like you said, I mean, you use each service in a, in a different capacity. When you, know, when you feel like listening to exactly what you want, you open up your Spotify app. When it's Pandora, it's Pandora. So um, I think there's, there's a lot of the you know, consumer base that's, that's just like that. So it's all about choice. And you know, as we have advances in, in, in these devices and you know, carrier limits are you know, lifted, um, you know, the consumer benefits. So what do you think is going to happen with, uh, in order to be able to tap those people who don't have a big music budget, what's going to be happening with ad-supported uh, mobile music apps and mobile streaming? Like, do audio ads work, or do you think that we're going to be needing to, are there other ways, better ways for these apps to be able to offer services for free? What about you guys at Conduit? How do you guys? What happens with the apps? Do you guys have ads in your uh, in your apps? So, so with our, with our service, um, uh, we we have different levels. So there are um, ads uh, for the free apps uh, for the artists, but then they can also pay us, and then the ads go away. And most of our stuff is where they're paying us. Um, so um, I, I won't want to comment on the ad stuff. I, I might be better and uh, uh, win am. Um, so. I mean, I, you know, Steve used to work at a, a fantastic company called iMeme um, that had a, you know, a model like that. I mean, you weren't really on mobile. They, you know, didn't have a sophisticated mobile. Oh, we, we were on mobile. Right. Okay. Well, I missed that. Yeah. Uh, no, but you know, I, we believe at Warner Music Group that you know, a service like Spotify that has you know a freemium funnel, the the, the monetization really comes through converting the user to a paid subscriber. And that's the level of access they get on the mobile phone. Um, and I, I don't know of a, a, a successful paid streaming service where you know, mobile is not a part of that. Um, and you know, services, apps like Songza and Pandora follow the DMCA and they're, 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 they're different in that you, know, you don't have that on-demand experience. So um, if that's what the consumer wants and they have to pay for it if they want it on their mobile phone. Yeah, so we tried, we tried many, many different angles on trying to create a, a revenue, a total revenue at my old company um, with online advertising on the web, but then on mobile um, towards the latter half of that company's lifetime. And um, just with the current, the current license, content licensing structures for on-demand streaming, which is what most people want on mobile, um, that, that's, the, that's sort of the holy grail. Um, it just, the, the the advertising units and the way the advertising industry thinks about um, their ROI in terms of eCPMs, it just doesn't work because you get to the level at which you start making money um, on a per unit or per thousand impression basis, which is basically how the media advertising works, um, it starts to make the experience so bad for the end user that they just disengage with the app. So I just think right now the, the I, I don't know the specific data over the last year, but um, if it's anything, um, remotely similar to the last five years. It's, um, it's hard to float a on-demand streaming mobile business just off ads. I think he's right um, that uh, it's a mixture of advertising and subscription, but even on that, I've seen so many complaints about that, so. Yeah, because don't forget, it's still costing the customer money, yeah. right? Nothing's ever free on mobile because you're actually paying a significantly higher bandwidth charge than you are on a desktop computer, so. 
Have you guys seen any other really cool uh, monetization uh, methods on mobile? Anything that you see really working, either ticket sales, merch sales, yeah. uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, so thus far we've discussed apps, but I mean, really, to be honest, you know, where we've seen real monetization, you know, impact from mobile has been in our more bread, bread and butter business with iTunes, right? Um, Eddie Q in, in the last uh, keynote announcing the new iTunes um, suggested that two thirds of, of downloads in the uh, iTunes store and app store uh, come from iOS devices, right? And, and we're certainly seeing the impact there. As much as our artists and you know the way that we communicate with our fans um, happens through social media, um, you know having uh, a, a system, having you know partners with with you know these social media platforms where they make it easier and easier to have the consumer ultimately access uh, the iTunes Store, the Android Store uh, from those platforms, uh, you know means more money to us, um, and. You know, another exciting area for us in the mobile space has been in direct-to-consumer. So and I can say that Warner Brothers Records has effectively doubled the business that comes from uh, mobile devices uh, in the last year, which is really, really exciting. I can't give specific figures, but it's very significant. Um, and so for us, it's all about making that experience better and better with less friction. We're you know, doing experiments with partners that specialize in this. My man Sahil from Gumroad over there. Uh, th that area is so key for us. Yeah, and on ticketing, it's doing very nicely for us too. Passbook certainly helped and, and it's going very nicely. Oh, yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about how Passbook's been working for you guys? For, you know? I, I, don't, I don't work on the ticketing side, so I can't even quote any figures from even the top of my head. Um, it's from what I hear from across the street, it's doing very well. So. I think there's there's definitely it's it's additive. It's not substitutive. So one thing we're working on uh, with Winamp and and part of our announcement with Lyric Find is is you know we talked about how apps keeping apps fresh, et cetera. I mean we have a very very high amount of consumption on our app now because we're a utility app and that we manage users' library on their phone. But uh, in-app purchases and adding features right now we're kind of focusing on features and function. You know we added we have an album washer for adding high quality art and cleaning up your your metadata and then adding lyrics and adding uh, um, DSPs and EQs in our, in our pro package. But we are, we're, we're looking to keep that up and extend that. We have a free music section in our app as well where we keep adding providers uh, for discovery and sampling music as promotional tracks that lead to sales and downloads. So you know, keeping the app fresh by adding in-app features, in-app purchases, we're seeing some early success with, yeah. So let's see, we've got a few minutes. Does anyone from the crowd have any uh, questions? And we will be doing a little bit more questions from up here at the end. Hi, thank you. My name is Debbie Newman. Hi, Debbie. Um, hi, I actually have two questions, one of which is really fast, and that is what you think, besides the bandwidth issues, the impact of now data caps from most, if not, well, most of the carriers at this point, except for Sprint, data caps is on things like recording 25 minutes of video at a concert and then trying to send it to somebody. Um, so data caps. And the second thing is a different question, which is, uh, what do you think the future of bundling, um, looking at the success of things like Cricket with Move Music, and today Samsung announced a deal with Spotify. I don't know how that works. I'm sure you still pay for it. But the sort of bundling of services with, uh, with handset companies, with mobile devices. I think on the data cap front, uh, you're about to see a a rude awakening on the overage costs from all these new iPhone LTE customers as they get their first cell phone bills. So I'm very much looking forward to Twitter on that day 
It's going to be exciting I, from my own perspective too, because I know I went over on both devices. Uh, on the the bundling front, we've seen bundling work with Cricket, and we've seen it fail completely with uh, whatever with many, 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 many companies. Mm-hmm. Which one was that one? Comes with music. What was the big one that just flopped spectacularly? Whatever it was. Um, the problem with those bundling things is they're never done for the customer's benefit. And so the worst people in user experience are cell phone carriers and manufacturers. So never trust them to make a great customer experience around music because the 15-year, the, the at this point, history of people trying from that perspective has, has kind of been a spectacular failure. Entertaining, but not good. Because it's just good enough. Yeah. Well, it's also a compelling offer, right? I mean, think about it. Compare cricket service to you know a, a major carrier's offering, and so not to endorse one or the other, but you know, for cricket to offer, uh, you know, an, uh, all you can eat music um, consumption, um, you know, uh, model with you know at a you know and with with uh, all you can talk text or uh, voice and text for fifty dollars a month. I mean, that's a very compelling, and the business works. And they reach a, a very particular type of consumer, but I feel that that's probably one of the reasons why they're successful. My understanding of that program is that retailers like Best Buy or these sort of retail chains, uh, they actually don't, they don't sell it without the music program. So I don't know if that's successful or if they're just bait factoring it in and not giving you a choice. And so I, I think it's hard to tell. Um, I don't know if it's causal that they're buying it because of the music program or not, but um, I did take a look at that, and so um, that's what I've seen is that it's never sort of dissociated. It's always one bundle. There isn't really a choice. Other questions? Hey guys, can can you drill down a little bit more into where you're seeing mobile e-commerce at the intersection of the live experience or products related to music is working? And do you see that as a growth area and how are you exploiting that? On the ticketing side, I mean, it's certainly, there's room for improvement on user experience, but we certainly know last minute ticket deals and push notifications convert highly. Um, we've been seeing it across the board. Passbook certainly helped in terms of making the user experience better at like 80 venues that we have Passbook support for now. Um, but like Steve said, the, 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 the time between thinking and action, the shorter that is, the better, and you have people have these things in their hand 18 hours a day versus sitting at computers eight. So, of course, the, the, the better we can make the experience of, of transacting on a mobile device, the better conversion we're going to have. It's going to be pretty much directly corollary. I think the most interesting thing, and there are a lot of interesting things about mobile for um, uh, live music, um, but I think the most important thing for me and, and what I've seen out there has been when you have the impulse to go buy something, if you not only give them all the necessary exciting information right there on the phone, um, it's not like an inbox, it's not, you know, it, they get a push notification at top level or they're getting it through the app while they're in the app. Um, and if you can give them the ability to make that, to complete that transaction with as few s- steps as possible, a few taps as possible, then that's an amazing thing. Um, that's beyond music, that's beyond um, any of that, it's, it's mobile e-commerce. Um, uh, I'm involved in a company called Uber, which, you know, I never would have thought, I'd, I would, I never called 
a limo service, a black car service to pick me up. I've always struggled with cabs, driving, riding a bike or skateboard in the city. And what Uber allows you to do, um, and, it's, and it's expensive, right? 50 to 100% more expensive than taking a cab, but I know it's gonna come because I can see it coming. And then it's, it's in my credit card account and I don't have to trade cash and credit cards and fumble around with that and, and have sort of a weird social interaction getting out of the cab, right? Yeah, I, I get all of that in one thing. I'm willing to pay that 50 to 100% more because I know it's, it, 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 the whole thing is happening right there within the app experience. And so when I think about live music, I want to be notified and I want to read about it, see, maybe see a video, listen to a couple tracks, then I want to be able to purchase and then I want to be able to invite and see if other friends want to go with me. Because the way I buy tickets prior to this world was I'd buy four tickets and I'd hope that someone wanted to come with me. Mm -hmm. I'd email them, I'd text them, and then I'd be on Craigslist selling them if I couldn't. Or I'd go by myself, you know, whatever. But the whole thing was like, like that's experience I want. Um, there's a, and, and disclaimer is I'm involved in that company too, but there's a company called Will Call out there that's doing a similar thing. They're, it's very editorialized. It's just a few shows in this city, um, but you're able to have that full like discovery and transaction experience, and then you're on the Will Call list. There are other apps out there that are doing this as well. Um, that's you know what Ethan and, and them are working on, I hope is getting to that, because they have all the data for most of the shows that people want to go to. Um, more from the crowd over here? You're welcome to just talk yeah, loud. <laughs> and I feel like it, it seems to me like low-hanging fruit for just improving uh, artist engagement with their fans. Just want to hear some comments on, on artist web apps and why we haven't seen more of it. So you're talking about like HTML5 web apps exactly. so opposed just to, to native app development. I mean, exactly. Well, let me, I have to run, sorry, because the last thing you know, ran late, but let me address that. So another statistic I wanted to share with you all is, you know, outside of the business that we get from, from D2C, you know, Mobile traffic on average is uh, over 20% for our entire label. So it's very significant. It's an area we're fully concentrated in. For some artists, it's upwards of 80%, to believe it or not. So um, I'm not sure what artists you were looking at. I hope none of ours. Um, tell me privately if, uh, you, know, if you were. But uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a absolute focus. You know, I would absolutely do a, a mobile optimized website for an artist before I would an app. Very important. Yeah, that's a, and, and that's a serious finding right there. Like uh, <laughs> a quick plug, um, uh, Conduit does uh, free mobile websites uh, for artists. Yeah, so if you're if you're an artist or you work with an artist, get them to build a mobile web app before they build native apps, because especially if responsive website. I mean, most CMS right. systems that artists are using nowadays, the default templates all support responsive design, so right. it kind of comes for free at this point. It's especially important if you're an international artist, as anyone with a feature phone, they're not going to be able to download your app. So, and that's those are obviously huge in emerging markets. Uh, so, if you've got internationally focused artists, definitely make sure you're building web apps. Yeah, so you guys. If if you're in the uh, if you're an art if you're an artist or an artist manager or a label, and you're using Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and things like that for to let people know about something that you've launched or some content uh, objects that you've launched. They're not, you're, you're not gonna be able to put out a link and get them to download the app and go to the exact screen and location in that app, that native app, from that channel. So if you're using social media, you're using um, even email, um, you, you should have a mobile website because that's the landing page that everyone will go to. 
And then if it's just reading or viewing content, then you can do most of that there. If you want them to really interact on their mobile phone, then you'll want to kick them to open it in the native app. But you need that landing, you need that landing platform in a mobile web app, otherwise your traffic is just going to hit a brick wall. Like you could, you could have Justin Bieber, I don't know how many followers he has, but he could tweet out all this stuff. If they all hit a download this app, they're going to download the app and they're just going to go to a page, a screen that's like the landing screen and it's sign up. And they're going to be like, no, you tweeted or Facebook posted in my page that you, I had a new video, right? I want to see the video. And so you can't bait and switch and it'll feel like a bait and switch to most of these users. So that's why a mobile web, but I, if you want users to actually interact and post content and do all these things, a mobile web app is by far less efficient and less interesting than a native app. Yeah. So you need both, really. And I don't know if one comes before the other. I think you kind of have to do you both need, if you, you really want to have a strategy around them. You need both. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, I mean, the stats on engagement on native apps versus mobile apps is like four or five fold the engagement on a native app. And you just saw Facebook go down that path of trying to build an HTML5 experience predominantly, and the performance is just not there yet. And so they ended up having to backtrack and get more serious about building all native apps. And so they, and still, they get twice as much, they get more traffic to their mobile website than their Android and iPhone apps combined. That's just how much traffic is coming from the mobile web and from especially the international markets. But if you don't have, but if you want to have great performance, you still can't do that on the HTML5. It's not working yet. Um, so just to finish up, uh, I'd like to start with, with uh, at the end, why don't you just tell me what's like the mobile app that you've been most excited about lately? Like what's, the, what's something new that you've seen that you're really excited about and you want to see more similar things in the future or you think it's re really revolutionary? Do um, not say conduit. <laughs> no, no. I was, I was, uh, okay, I'll, pl I'll plug uh, soundtrack instead. Yeah. Um, which I think, <laughs> um, which I think is is really really clever, and and basically uh, takes the uh, importance of uh, uh, enabling uh, a user while they're doing stuff which is fun to track it and then share it with their friends, and this happens to be around music. Yeah. So the coolest thing that I've been using recently is, um, I showed this with my interesting thing in the beginning, uh, is a product called Fit Radio. So um, not made by us, but um, it, and where you can pick, it's mostly um, EDM, but there's other styles of music in there, where you can pick, uh, I'm a runner, so, um, and I can pick the speed of the music I want to run to, as it's all grouped by uh, its beats per minute. I, I still have a lot of fun with, um uh, the DJ app, DJ AY. Um, I like when I fly, I like uh, spinning uh, songs that I have and like making little quick mixes. And like it's just kind of a, like a rough draft pad for like when I actually get in front of a computer or some turntables, I'll be able to do the real thing. But it's like it's fun because it'll kill five hours to New York. Like it'll just be like that and I'm done. It's obviously not as good as a real DJ rig, but um, it's fun. And it, it, it reminds me of like, you know, the real thing so it's it's I still have a lot of fun with that one I'm like struggling to figure out which one is because I'm looking through my phone I, ha I I actually the of the apps I use the most I don't use music apps very often actually I'm, I'm <laughs> extremely boring in that way I use Spotify and Audible um, I'd say the one that's imp if we're going to say improved productivity the most I like IA Writer because of the iCloud implementation but that's like the most boring answer possible on a music panel, so I, I just apologize for everything. So everyone remember, Ethan's really boring. No, um, yeah, I would say that if, if, if I've been using anything I really liked, Will Call is pretty impressive in San Francisco. It's giving last-minute ticket deals to uh, about um, 
about shows that are coming up in the next few days. So it's not a lot about like planning something weeks ahead of time. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. It sends you a push notification about a show. You buy it. And a new app that just literally launched today, which is called Playground, which uh, is kind of like a competitor to Songza, which basically lets you find playlists by other people with similar music taste to you. And it's literally just like you open the app and you do one click and the music is playing. And that, that's totally critical to me. Um, so some other things that we we talked about and we learned today that I think are really important are that uh, that building uh, building apps for for the web is really critical. Uh, making sure that your if your uh, music app being able to cache music to the user's device so that they can quickly play something from offline. Cache is king, as we were saying. Um, that. Uh, that more users are using mobile devices at shows, and if uh, if venues can figure out better ways to help them upload content, they're going to be able to get more promotion for their artists. And that artists should definitely be making sure to be promoting their uh, their apps on stage, but from a very intimate way in the sense that it's about a conversation. It's about listening to the to the artists and consuming the art, not about buying something. I think that's really the, the the story of this whole panel and about music in general is that it's not about buying something. If you give people an experience that they really love, you'll probably find a way to make money later. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming out today.